Welcome to Wide Eyes, a podcast made to uplift and educate others about the Asian American community. My name is Anu. I'm Katie. And this is Nu. And today we'll be discussing about mental health in the Asian American community. So mental health is a Western concept that's been normalized. But for us as AAPIs in our community, we haven't really been talking about mental health. You know, first off, like what is mental health? And so mental health It includes our emotional, our psychological, and our social well-being. It can affect our day-to-day basis, you know, how we think, how we act, or how we feel. And this can be a really big hindrance into our daily lives. It can affect how we handle stress, how we talk to our friends, our families. And, you know, it can also determine if we make healthy choices or not. And so I think for us as AAPIs in our community, we kind of associate mental health with mental illness. And so mental illnesses are conditions that affect a person's thinking, their feelings, mood, behaviors, um, you know, such as depression, anxiety, um, bipolar disorder. I think for us, we haven't really been educated on the difference between mental health and mental illnesses. And that's why we've kind of just not talked about it. You know, we don't really talk about mental health and mental illnesses because we group them together. And so I'd also like to acknowledge that it's an evolving journey. You know, I know for me, especially like I had the hardest time talking about my personal mental health and like, I didn't ask anyone for help, but as I grew older and I realized that, you know, this is so much more and this is bigger than just me and I, I need help. It's important to get help when you need it. And so if you've never, you know, experienced any form of mental health and you're like, oh, I'm in my early 20s, late 20s, and, you know, I shouldn't be getting, like, mental health doesn't affect me because I've never, quote unquote, had mental health before. Like, I've never had mental health issues before. And so I'd just like to acknowledge that, you know, everybody's journey is different. And it's really important to realize that mental health is, it doesn't just have to be within, like, oh, when you're going through puberty or when you're going through your midlife crisis. Mental health is is constantly um with us. And I agree with you too. And I feel like this is such a great topic for us to discuss about and dwell in much deeper into it. And another thing that I want to include is about like the mental health stigmas within like the Asian community. And that may range from the cultural norms to the fair disability and also to taboo. And within the cultural norms, there are lack of affection from Asian parents. And culturally, parents doesn't show much affection. And it's not normalized within the Asian household. And for example, growing up, my own parents, they didn't know how to express or show their affection towards like me and my siblings while we all like grew up. And even till this day, they don't, you know, say like, you know, in in, in the Western term, or oh, I love you or like, you know, like that. But then within my Asian household, we don't say that, you know, so it's like, it's kind of like an awkward thing between me and my parents because we don't say I love you and that's just not a normal thing for us but their way of showing affection is completely different and like it's just I feel like that's like culturally it's different from the western concept of affection of parents being affectionate while in the Asian household or my family 
we don't express ourselves in that way. But I felt like over time, me and my siblings, it may be different from me and my parents, but me and my siblings over time, we have gradually, you know, learned to be more open with each other and also to be more affectionate towards each other. And that's just something that from my side of my like Asian people (laughs) so yeah yeah as for me it goes the same too and I feel like we have to take into consideration of for example like my parents were born in the 80s and I may think that since they're born in the 80s they're a little bit more you could stay westernized you know and they're a little bit more understanding but I feel like it doesn't matter what age they are when they were born my parents they still have that like lack of affection so in my household like Although I was very comfortable talking to my mom because she's, she's like in her 30s. So it's very comfortable for me to express myself with her because she's a little bit more understanding. But at the same time, she's not the type to really show that affection. And like, as I grew up, I learned to come to like, understanding with that. And I learn how to just accept, you know, my parents and my family the way they are. For me, it's just like growing up, I didn't think it'd be such a huge and, you know, monumental thing, right? And so I... And I, you know, as I got older, I realized that it's because I never got the love and affection that I, I thought that my parents were giving, right? And so I think it's important to, to realize that for the Asian community, Asian parents, they give their love and affection in like other ways. I know for a fact, like in times of need, like they're there for you, does not matter. Rain, shine, I'm stuck and stranded in the middle of the island. They will find their way to get there and help you. And I know, I think that speaks volume, but I I know that, you know, not everyone, like the love languages, right? And so not everyone receives or perceives love the same way. So some, some people, they might like words of affection. Some people might find, you know, can be love their love language might be conveyed through gifts or materialistic stuff right and so they show love in different ways oh yeah so you know kind of like new your story right my parents they didn't really show affection they obviously you know they gave us hugs don't get me wrong they gave us like hugs and stuff like that but for me you know I'm a very one of my love languages is actually like physical touch and so I love hugs I love holding hands like I love you know just that closeness and another one is words of affirmation and so I love hearing I love you just words of affirmation right and so you don't think hearing the words I love you would be play such a huge role right because for me my first time saying I love you to my dad it wasn't even like an emotional serious I love you dad right it was like quick right and so I, when we were in high school, you know, my dad dropped us off at the bus stop and my brother, every morning, my brother would say like, I love you, dad. I love you. Right. And so they always, they have a closer connection and, and, you know, than I do with my dad. And so it was just really normal for him to say it. And so he was just like, oh, every morning it's like, I love you, dad. I love you. And I was like, oh my God, like, I want to say that too. Right. And so, you know, next, the next day I was like, oh my gosh, okay. I'm going to say, I love you, dad. Right. Right before I leave. And so, you know, the next day comes, we were ready. We're uh, getting out the car the bus stop is approaching and it's just like and then I left I did I opened the door and it's just I didn't even say it right and so it's just I don't know what it was and so I kept trying it took me a week to say you know a quick I love you and so the last day I was just like I knew just do it right and so I was just like bye dad love you and then I left I walked out the, I like left out of the car and I'm not even joking when I say I was sweating I was like, you know, drenching in sweat. And so 
my palms were sweaty. Like I was just, my heart was beating. And when I said like, just a quick, I love you, dad, like this weight felt like it lifted off my shoulder. And I didn't know how, I don't want to say like pent up, but like it was pent up, you know, emotions. And it's just, it felt so good to just be able to release it. And so, you know, I think it's in, I don't know. I just, I thought that story would be uh, good to share because, you know, you don't think that, you know, showing emotions would really affect you, but I, you know, it obviously does. And it, it's my mental clarity after that was just like, oh my God, why haven't I been saying this for, you know, for as, ever since I was small. And so now we obviously say, I love you. We're definitely, you know, hugs every now, um, not every now and then, like literally every day. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to express yourself. What I want to add to what Anu mentioned is that, yes, it is definitely nice to express yourself. And I just want to say just being emotional and also vulnerable, it's very powerful. Just being able to express your feelings and over time, like when we grew up, it wasn't normal to show affectionate. But then now that we realize how much of a big impact it is, it is something that I, for me personally, it is something that I'm still working towards. And it probably may be the same for Katie and Anu. Despite being able to like express ourselves and as powerful it is, another thing that I want to add is about tiger parents. And that's something that I feel like it is really talked about. I feel like within Asian households or people that do pursue, I feel like for me, how I learned about tiger parenting was through going to college and taking my minor in Asian American studies. That's how I like learn about it and how the extent of the seriousness it's in there. And I feel like it's something that we should discuss more about. And I feel like it's just something that for tiger parents, it's usually like strict parents on their children's is that they don't realize their expectations or the way they speak to their children is harsh or harmful. But then culturally, they just weren't brought up to be affectionate. So there is that miscommunication within the Asian household from the parents to the children, because we cannot blame parents the way how they were raised because our parents don't know any better. And it's just something that they were taught that way. And it is how they would raise their children. And that is something that I want to put out there that Asians are just not culturally affectionate. Yeah. new. I love what you said. Like Asians we just, we're not affectionate and it's no one's to blame, but you know, we shouldn't be playing the blame game, right? Like, yeah, yes. yes. Mom, you mm-hmm. didn't, mom and dad, you didn't love me. And so like, what are you talking about? Like we did love you and stuff. And so it's just, I also think, like you said, it's important to emphasize that there's no communication with each other. And so, you know, you don't realize how much you needed to learn how to express yourself until like you actually express yourself. And so, I don't know, I just feel like a lot of mental health, like mental health in general just isn't talked about in, I know, especially for my Hmong community, but I know, I feel like this is, you know, can be applicable to both, you know, the AAPI community as well. And I think one of those, one of the reasons why we don't talk about mental health is because we lack the education and we kind of put mental illness and mental health as one thing. Once, as once again, I said, it's, it's not the same. And so one of that is because, you know, we don't want to be labeled as disabled um, because, you know, 
once again, like I said, especially in the punk community, but I feel like this is applicable to the AAPI community as well. Like reputation is everything. When you go somewhere, you know, they always ask you, um, you know, who's your mom and dad? And if your mom and dad has a good reputation, then they're like, oh, this, you know, they probably have, you know, this, this, this son or daughter is probably a very good person too, because their parents are good. Um, and so as a community, we just kind of know each other. And, you know, we, I don't want to say we have biases, but we, but we have biases. And so it's important to uphold that reputation. And, and if you do have someone who in your family who talks about mental health or is disabled, you know, they're like, isn't your son the one who, you know, they're disabled, right? And so you kind of get labeled. And so I think if you, if you have someone in your family who's disabled, you're kind of labeled as the family with that disabled person, right? And so it's kind of just grouped together and you, you know, I feel like it sucks that, you know, they don't want to be acknowledged or they don't want to be um, known as the family with a disabled person. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with, once again, like I said, having that reputation and wanting to uphold that reputation so that you're a reputable, you know, a reputable family. Yeah, no, I think you made a great point of talking about how reputation ties into like fair disability. Also, I want to link that into taboo because I feel like within the Hmong community or, you know, in the AAPI community, there's a lot of taboos. And within the, for me personally, in the Hmong community, you know, there's a lot, I feel like we think a lot about karmas, you know, there's a lot of things that are words or like beliefs that we believe that will bring us karma. And as for me and my family, for my younger sister, she was diagnosed with autism. And when she was first diagnosed with autism, right, my parents, it's sad, but it's the truth. My parents were in denial for about two to three months. And I do want to make it clear that it's not that my parents don't love my sister or don't care about her. But I think it's a matter of fact of how within our family and our community is just it's very hard to really talk about mental health or mental illnesses and to be labeled as that so till this day I still don't talk about my parents when they were in denial because I don't want to push it and I do talk to them once in a while about the issue like not in a case where I'm blaming on them I feel in a sense guilty again that I wasn't able to do the most I can as the oldest sister but now that she's being put in you know ABA school She's getting better much by each day. And I feel like the topic about autism and just mental health in general within my family, it's, I want to say it's getting better, but it's getting somewhere, right? Like we have to start somewhere. So I would say because of that, I feel like with my sister's situation and everything, my parents became more, this ties back into affectionate too. They became more open and more affectionate and more like understanding of all of their kids so I will see that as a plus and so Katie you mentioned like you know you had to relearn everything and I and I feel like that's really huge because for me especially like I am just now recently learning um about what mental health is in my personal mental health journey and I feel like the reason why the AAPI community in general um doesn't really they don't really talk about mental health is because there's a language barrier. And so obviously a lot of the AAPI community, the refugees, they come from another country, they're immigrants and just trying to like talk about mental health. There's just that literal language barrier where they can't express themselves. But I think there's also another language barrier where there's, there's not the ability to express themselves. And so I know in our Hmong community, 
we don't have a lot of words for mental health, right? Like we don't have a word for mental health. We don't have a word for autism. And we don't have word for like the spectrum of autism. And so it's, it's really hard to try to explain something when you don't have the, you literally don't have the tools and the ability to explain it to them because we've never, we, we don't have the capability to, right? And so I think that's why it's important to, especially with a language that's, you know, constantly developing to realize that topics such as mental health is important to acknowledge and realize and come up with words to describe these terms. In addition to what Anu mentioned about language barriers, there are also cultural barriers. There's so many different types of Asian cultures and all of us grew up differently and with, and with different cultures, traditions, and Asian cultures, oftentimes um, we value strength, resilience, and being self-sufficient. But on the other hand, those values may clash with ones that are like treasure in the Western or American culture, such as like being able to express ourselves to being loud or like being collaborative, like with one another. And then with that, I like to add that there is a form of parenting style within like the Asian culture, and that is tiger parenting. And I feel like tiger parenting, it is something that parents don't realize that their expectations or the way they speak or raise their children may be harsh or harmful for their children. But then I feel like at the same time, culturally, they weren't taught to be affectionate, or that's all they knew how of how to parent. And that could be miscommunication. And that just goes back to like the language barrier, the miscommunication with each other from the parent and also the children. And I feel like, you know, these expectations, they just want their children to do well academically or do well no matter what in their life. And culturally, Asian parents are just not affectionate with each other and with their children. So there is that mis- miscommunication with one another. And what I want to add on to, you know, this go back to language barrier and Asian parents, or I feel like any parents in general, they just want their children to do well in life. But specifically like with Asian parents, that's why it's called like tiger parenting or tiger parents. It's because they're just being so strict with their children because I feel like that's all they knew and like grew up with. Like that's on what they were taught. So they will taught their kids the same way. And they don't realize that, but that pressure and expectation affects their children's mental health. And with that, there is still that lack of mental health education that isn't discussed as often and uh, should be more discussed about. Yeah, um, New, while you were talking, I just thought about something. I feel like in our culture, right, or in the Asian community, we're a collectivist group. And then when you were talking about the Western, you know, Western notion, all that, I was thinking about how it's more individualistic. So I was just thinking, I was placing myself in both groups. And I was thinking maybe that's why in our culture, since we're so like collaborated in such a unit, it's hard for us to like talk about, you know, mental health and anything like that. And I feel that there's many factors into that. And I feel like this goes back into what we just talk about our stigmas. We're like, since we're such like a unit, when there's anything that bad or good happen, we are labeled as that. So it's as one. So it's really hard when you try, when you live in like a Western world and it's more individualistic and you try to break free from the group you are from, it's hard to do that. And I feel like what we're doing now is just breaking it down and hope it helps others. New, you, 
I love that you mentioned like the the miscommunication and and I love that you brought up tiger parents because for for me my parents they weren't they weren't like tiger tiger parents you know obviously they had expectations but for me I think the the miscommunication I think that's where it was at and so you know my my parents they always just said you know be the best how am I going to be the best right just being told to be the best it doesn't really help like how do I get there to be the best and so there was that that miscommunication and then coming from I feel like this tiger parenting but in like another way because they weren't like micromanaging me and my time and everything they were just you know like for some student or some for some people I know like their parents like on them like you know you have to be home at this time like why aren't you studying you know why aren't you practicing your instruments or whatnot but for me like they were tiger parents but you know more milder and so for me my and this lack of communication like what what is it that you want from me right and I never really got that and so for me I was really 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 in my head and so it's just like okay how do I succeed okay that means that I can't have a social life that means that I need to constantly be studying and so I was kind of my own tiger parent for myself um and so for me my my mental health um you know back back in high school um you know I felt like I was a lot more mature than most of my friends just emotionally because you know my parents were always you know drilling it in like you know whatever you do you need to be the best um and so whatever I was doing like I had to be the best and so I was always out of my way trying to be in these positions like doing all these volunteering opportunities um I know for me, I attended uh, CART, the Center for Advanced Research and Technology, and that was me going out of my way to do something different so I could stand out for like my college applications. And it's just, I was constantly finding ways to stand out. And, you know, I never really took the time to even like, you know, I don't regret the decisions that I made because, you know, it led me here today, but I, I never really took that break that self-reflection for myself. And I think that's where, you know, my mental health was really affected because I was always on the go. There was never a time where I was just, you know, relaxing and taking time for myself. And I feel like looking back, if I could change anything, it'd be to just enjoy my high school years a little um, because I, I, I was always really jealous of those people who had a really close group because I didn't have that because I was constantly just trying to figure out you know how am I going to get to the best college that I can get that I can get to you know and so if, if I were to change anything it's to just relax take in the scenery and enjoy the journey right and you know I'm preaching that now but it's because recently I I literally was in the same cycle again right um so just you know a little backstory like I got accepted into UCI um, that was my dream school, but we, unfortunately, I didn't get the financial aid that I thought I was going to get. And so I had to, you know, I say settle now, but, you know, at the time I was just settling for Fresno State because that's all that I could afford. And so I tasted the bitter taste of defeat. And so I was literally back in that cycle again that I was my senior year in high school of, okay, you basically, for me, like at the time, like I hit rock bottom um, because, you know, during my year off, like, I didn't know at the time, but like, I was really depressed. Like, all I did was, you know, 
I just stayed home. Um, and you know, when I, my parents needed my help, like I helped them, but like, if it wasn't for anime, yo, anime saved my life. I'm not even joking. Um, cause I couldn't feel like I felt nothing. And that was really weird. Cause you know, you and Katie, you guys know me. Um, and so it was like, I'm a really bubbly person. Like I love talking to people. I love getting the vibes and the energy. And it's just during that year when I was off, it was, you know, I was just literally a statue and just the emotions that I was able to obtain was through anime, like laughing and crying. And thankfully I was able to express some form of emotions through that. But yeah, that, that year off was really hard. And so I, for me, like, I didn't know at the time, but like emotionally I hit rock bottom. And so when I got to college, um, my, when I started my first year, um, at Fresno state, I was just like, okay, like you know, the reality is like, you need money in America to be able to do the things that you want to do. Right. And so for me, I was just like, okay, what's, what do you love doing? Right. And so I was doing, you know, self-exploration and, you know, I love helping people and I love science. And so, um, you know, couple that with, you know, what makes, what's a science career that makes you money. Right. So I was like, Oh, a doctor. Right. And so, um, I was like, okay, you knew you're going to study and you're going to be a doctor. And so I went ham for like the first two years. Right. And so I was just constantly on the go. You know, I, once again, I didn't do what I did, um, what I wanted to do, what I should have done. I didn't do my self-reflection. But yeah, so it's just like, I didn't take that self-reflection to really ask myself like what I wanted to do. And so I went through that whole cycle all over again. And so my first two years in college, I was no social life, literally just studying like day in and day out, taking tests, um, no breaks, doing, you know, regular semester, um, doing summer school. Um, sometimes I would do, you know, the winter sessions, just, I was constantly on the go. And that wasn't until like COVID where, you know, we started to do in-person learning. And I realized that one, you know, I love helping people, but I don't know if I want to be on the front lines, you know, especially if something like COVID happens again, which it's bound to happen again. Right. And so just, you know, I started like, oh, maybe I don't want to go into medicine. And then, you know, I, this is when I really started to be in tune with myself, right? Because I felt that release. Um, I did a, a, yo, I'm talking about like deep reflection, right? Like meditation, everything, like the whole nine yards. And so I came to a realization that I didn't want to go into med school. And so this was really hard for me to come to terms with because I put all my eggs in one basket. I'm talking about everything I did was for the sole purpose of getting into medical school. Um, and so it was really hard to say that, you know, when I first verbally said, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a doctor, right? I felt again, like, you know, I wasn't sweating as much, but I felt that weight being lifted off my shoulder. Like when I told my dad, I loved him for the first time. Right. And that's when I was just like, oh my gosh, like I felt that weight being lifted off my shoulders. And, you know, that's when I started to reevaluate like my college experience. And I was just like, I hated it. All I did was just study. And I, you know, was emotionally and mentally burnt out because all I did was just studied and I didn't take the time to enjoy the process of you know getting to where I'm at now and so thankfully you know for a lot of people I know COVID was a very very hard um, time in their lives 
you know, it was for me too. Um, but I think I'm very thankful that I was able to come out of it with some self-reflection and realizing that I needed to focus on my mental health. Cause I feel like a lot of people out of coming out of COVID, like they, they're more in tune with their mental health. And so, um, and yeah, and so wait, what was I talking about? Oh yeah. Former parenting. And so how did I get to forms of parenting? Oh my gosh. Okay. We're fine. And so, and so, you know, it's really important to talk about, I think it's really important to have that communication because had I'd had that communication with my parents from the start, like, you know, their, their idea of success for me was basically to just be happy. And so had I known that, you know, I wouldn't have put all these unrealistic expectations, honestly, and really unrealistic expectations on myself. And when I didn't meet those goals, like, you know, I, it was like the end of the world for me. And so had I just talked to my parents, like, you know, they just want me to be happy. And, you know, knowing that now it's just like, okay, great. Like I, I would have saved myself so much time and trouble and, you know, the last five years of my life, you know, just would have been so much more relaxed. And so, um, that's why I think it's so important to have that communication because I feel like a lot of us, we don't have that communication with our parents just because culturally, like you said, that's how we, they grew up and that's how we grew up. And so we just don't talk to one another. And so it's really, I feel like for me, it's just have that communication, understand where they're coming from, where you're coming from, and just kind of come to a consensus. What I want to mention is that what Anu just mentioned uh, ties into how to combat the stigmas of mental health. And that is just to simply normalize mental health and be able to have those com- conversation and communicate with one another. And that simply start from within ourselves. And we all need to like take that accountability to be more open-minded and to don't judge others, you know, because I feel like we tend to always judge a book by its cover, you know, and that is something that I am working on. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, they uh, Anu and Katie are too. And that is something that, you know, it's a work in progress. Everything's not going to turn out right or perfect overnight. And it's something that we all need to work on. It's just to simply to normalize mental health. Yeah, I think it's easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. Because we say start by just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that may be easy to just say, but it's actually when you physically talk to your family member or you know anyone, it, it's a little bit hard. You're kind of open a can of worms, especially if that other person you're talking to is against what you're saying, or you know they don't really you don't see eye to eye with them. But then I feel like isn't that where or isn't that why we want to have that conversation right with people who don't understand we, so that we can have that mutual understanding and. It doesn't have to come into the conclusion of, oh, okay, you accept what I'm saying, but it's more like just kind of having that different perspective so that can broaden your horizon <laughs> so you can see other people differently. You don't see that person just the same. Yeah, and I also think another way that you can start to ask for help is just talking to someone you trust, right? So like Katie just mentioned, like talking to families, especially if they don't see eye to eye, like that could be a little hard, but try to find a friend who you trust and you can get this taken off your chest. Or if you're in college, like utilize the resources that your campus offers. If you're in, you know, high school, I'm pretty sure they have counselors. And so it's just 
just find someone to talk to that way you can get it off your chest because it's going to feel so much better to relieve all that pent up emotion or maybe you know with social media now follow social media pages with like positive affirmations because positive affirmations even though it's just like good job right like you did great like you don't realize how important that is until like you're rock bottom and someone says wow I appreciate you right or like thank you for doing that or wow like you know you belong here right those words even though they're so simple like they can be like life-changing to a person and so with social media like literally at our fingertips follow social media pages that advocate for mental health because you know I know for some some people like maybe talking about it might be a little too much so maybe just start by reading it and being exposed to the information that way it's like a lot easier to ease into talking and so follow mental health pages. Yes. And as Anu was mentioning about, you know, checking out and following social media pages, some accounts that we have down for you guys to check out includes Asian Mental Health Project on Instagram, as well as Find My Wellbeing. And Find My Wellbeing is a podcast that, you know, talks about mental health. And then Asian Mental Health Project is another platform that focuses on the AAPI community that does workshop and also advocate for to normalize the mental health in the AAPI community. Visit your health center, right? Like seek help if needed. I'm like a pro advocate for that. And I'm sometimes I'm too much of an open book, but like whenever I'm feeling down or anything, I always seek that help at, you know, our institution. And it's, it's for me, it's really relieving to just talk to someone, you know, expressing myself what I've been through that day. And I feel like it doesn't have to be a big issue to talk about it, right? It could be anything from the smallest thing, like, I don't know, you have a fight with someone that day, I don't know what it can be, but it could be the smallest thing, right? It doesn't have to be anything big. And doesn't have to um, revolve around like, if you do have like a mental health concern, or anything like that, it could just be expressing yourself. And for me, like last semester, you know, when COVID hit and, you know, we have to go to school through Zoom, it was a hard time. It was a really hard time for me. Now I can laugh about it because I survived. But at that time, it was really hard for me. And I was thankful to have taken like this uh, counseling course. And within that counseling course, um, it's a requirement for us to be therapy once a week up to, I think, 13, se- it was around 13 sessions through the whole semester. And that really helped me a lot, like, you know, internally, externally, the way I present myself to my friends, family, and the way I work at school. And I learned so much about myself and like my role within my family household, because, you know, I, you know, I I learned that there are still some things that are so unsettling with, you know, about me within my family and like you know I never really thought about it until I went to therapy and I learned so much about myself and especially when I I realized that I'm an anxious I have an anxious style attachment so when I don't get something resolved I get really anxious and that's just my style attachment and that's something that I learned about myself because before I didn't realize these signs that I have but going to therapy it really helped me to just come to a conclusion of you know where I'm heading or who I am and I do want to point out too that it's okay to say no to a therapist if you feel like he or she may not providing you the best outcome or giving you the help that you needed because 
not that all there, not that that therapist is not doing the right job, but sometimes, you know, some therapists, they have different types of way of communicating styles. And we were talking about languages, like love languages earlier. There are some therapists who are more reserved, you know, they're very straight to the point, or there are some very emotional where they really seek to help you. So I do want to point out that it's always okay to say no, or if you don't click with a certain therapist in a sense, that's helping you to become the better version of yourself, then, you know, it's your right to say no. And I think it's just so important to ask for help. Like, if you just need someone to talk to, just go and talk to someone, right? You don't have to feel like you're bothered because it's just talking to someone. I'm pretty sure they need someone to talk to, too. Um, and so, you know, for me, like, Katie, you mentioned that, you know, you, you utilize therapy. Like, for me, had I utilized therapy, like, the literally the free resources that are, you know, given to me on my campus, like, I would have had such an easier time dealing with my first two years in college. Because for me, I knew I was struggling. I knew I was struggling. And I knew that, like, at one point, this cap on this boiling kettle was going to pop off, right? But, you know, and I already, like, realized this my first year. I was, like, my first semester in college, I was, like, oh, my God. I'm struggling a little bit, but I never went to ask for help because I was always like, okay, you know what? Let's, um, let's just try to handle this yourself first. Cause that's kind of like how I grew up. Right. And, you know, going back into, you know, the Asian community, we are self-sufficient. Right. And so for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out myself. And, and then if I can't do it, then I'll ask for help. But obviously if I was already thinking about asking for help, I needed the help. Right. And so another reason why I didn't go was because by then it was already like, Come next semester, I was like, okay, you know, you're you're almost there. You're like, you're gonna try this for a year already. And maybe you're just almost there and you just, you know, almost there. And so that constant, like, I can handle this myself. Another one was I was minimizing my experience compared to my peers because I knew some people who went to get counseling in the student health and counseling center, but they were going through like 10 times worse than what I was going through, right? And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll just let these services be for those who really need it. But in doing that, like I was minimizing my experiences and I was comparing them to others. And you shouldn't be doing that because everyone's journey is different. It's good job for them or like, you know, it's amazing. I'm still amazed about like, you know, how some people can juggle working full time, juggle school full time, you know, doing all these extracurricular activities and, you know, still staying on top of it. And, and for me, it's just like, I was struggling with school and, but it's, it's okay to, to, you know, have different capabilities of handling stress. Right. And so don't, you know, minimize your experience. Don't compare yourselves to other because everyone has a different journey. Um, I'd also like to emphasize that, you know, if you're you know, not comfortable with finding a su- support group through like therapy, start your own support group. For me, I joined my first book club and man, that was a support group in and of itself. We were just talking about our experiences because the book that we were were reading was, you know, talking about personal growth and whatnot and finding yourself. And so maybe start a book club and read a book about personal growth. That way you can not only one, read an amazing book, but two, kind of talk about and release or relieve that stress or start a podcast. Like for you and us, you know, the reason why we started this podcast is because we felt that struggle and we felt that inability to voice our opinions. And we felt like, you know, we need to speak about, you know, what's going on in our community. And so in doing this, you know, talking to New and Katie all the time, it's, 
that is a stress reliever. There's more ways to getting help than finding a professional help. Yeah. And I completely agree with Anu and like how she mentioned like her first two years, she struggled. And I feel like had I known that, because I feel like back then we weren't as close as we are now. And for me, my first year into college, I was struggling as well. And I was depressed, like, you know, depression hit me hard and then imposter syndrome, like all of that. It was just like overwhelming for me with COVID as well. I, you know, really thought about considering taking a leave or like, you know, or a leave of absence from college what happened with COVID it was like a good and also a bad thing because I feel like for me it made me really reflected on myself and with my depression and also like it's like an ongoing journey like this self-healing journey that I'm going through and I feel like once I'm in it it's not gonna be all right overnight. So I feel like it's something that I'm work, I am working towards. And many other people could resonate with our stories that to just like what Anu and Katie mentioned, talk to your friends or find your support group. And with me and my couple of friends, we dedicate our time when we meet each other, we talk about how we're doing our well being and everything. And I feel like these having just these uh, small talks or these conversations are so important and also so powerful at the same time. It's important to validate each other's feelings and what we're going through. And it really starts from within ourselves. And through this podcast, I hope that, you know, they probably get some sense of message of what we're trying to deliver through this podcast. Before we end this video, we'll like to include some resources and information for you guys. In the following, it includes National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK, or Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration Treatment Referral Helpline, 1877-SAMHSA7, Asian Mental Health Collective, AsianMHC.org, or please call the Trevor Lifeline at 866 488 7386 for suicide prevention for the LGBTQ plus community. This information that I just mentioned will be listed in our description. And this concludes our conversation for this month. Can't wait to chat with you guys in our next episode. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Wide Eyes Podcast.